It is Saturday, March 16th, 2019. This is Room in the Trees. A podcast about artists and origami and the color green. <laughs> Unnatural green. Unnatural green, folks. Unnatural green. This is Room in the Trees, and you are Trent Reynolds. I am Sabrina Ward Harrison. <laughs> we are glad you're joining us. This show is dedicated to my my Nana, Anna Ward, who passed away this past October, but this would have been her 100th birthday. I love you, Nana. Thanks for all your light and, and joy you brought into this world. It's been kind of dingy, kind of rainy uh, yeah. for the past few weeks and pretty cold. And we've got a migration of butterflies. <gasps> oh, monarchs. Um, they look like monarchs, but I don't think they are monarchs. I think they're called like painted ladies or something like that. Okay. <laughs> I could be wrong. I have no idea. Um, I saw a picture on uh, somebody's Instagram feed that uh, had a picture of one of the butterflies and it said, I think, painted ladies or, or like some other kind than monarch, although they look very similar. Um, but I mean, hundreds of butterflies... Uh, I get out of my car in the morning, walking down the hill uh, to the school, and hundreds of butterflies just just uh, floating oh, in the breeze. Wonderful. It's amazing, and oh, it's like day cool. after day there are all these butterflies. It's kind of magical. It's really incredible about butterfly migration and how they know where to return to, and they're just these little tiny, eensy weensy things. Yeah, it is the whole thing. Like, where are they going? And how do they do know? All, I think we know where they're going. Yeah, I wonder if they've got like like groupings. I'm sure they do have some kind of group. Like, you know, I'm in I'm in wave A of the migration. You know, <laughs> or they just take what? off whenever they're ready. You know, it's like okay, here I go. Or is there an awareness like of of the larger group of butterflies? I always wonder that with I when I see Canadian geese flying overhead or the the trumpeter swans migrating, like what. When do they decide? Is there a social hierarchy within the the flock? Right. And it's always sad when you hear the ones crying alone in the sky. You're just like, I could just cry. Mm. See, it's like it's lost its tribe. But, you know, it makes me think about how we – do we have that same kind of instinct of knowing where to go and what to follow? Mm. And it seems with our brain capacity, we should have some <laughs> – sense of what to do next <laughs> we're like we just pin tip of a pin and they're like oh i have to fly to argentina got it i know where to go <laughs> feel a little chilly today i think i gotta travel 300 miles or whatever three thousand miles what's well, interesting too uh, it seems like i've been hearing more about this recently for some reason but the, the idea that intelligence can be passed down genetically, ah. right? There's some animals, you know, they can, you know, the day they're born, they're already knowing how to walk and do certain things. And right. Right. That, that, that intelligence might be part of the machinery. Like there's intelligence maybe just in how, how the body is built, but there's also some kind of like intellectual capacity, you know, some capacity to be able to see and process and, you know, that that's built into genetics and that I'm sure that has to do every, everything to do with migration and, wow. you know, but it also like how we have a sense of danger around, mm -hmm. you know, other people or kind of built in mechanisms for understanding the world that are just 
part of our DNA, you know. Does it change between generations? Hey, exactly, right? So yeah. if if I have a, you know, or develop a different way of seeing the world, yeah. is that somehow encoded in my genetics such that it would somehow influence the next generation? I've got to believe that I on some I love that. I love that. I mm. love that idea. An experience like I feel like I've got my grandmother's adventures in me, you know. Mm-hmm. Good good time to be alive in uh, in California. And I hear there's lots of flower blooms because of all the rain. Oh, I bet it must be incredible this year. Spring's going to be beautiful in California. Yeah. A couple of years ago, mm. I think we had a, a, an especially rainy winter and there was a California poppy bloom. Yeah. And we, we drove somewhere far away to see this poppy preserve. I remember somewhere. seeing pictures. I think maybe Laura posted beautiful little video and stuff of that. I'm excited to go back to... Berkeley is my spring is my favorite time to be in the Bay Area, and I the smell of pink jasmine just has my heart. And this, that's this that's coming up. When is that? Yes, I will be there in the beginning of April, just to wander those that old neighborhood. I just I was like Google mapping my old street. So many, so many the same. Like the bakery's still there, the old movie theaters still, the Chinese restaurant's still there. It's amazing. Twenty years later, and it's still. It hasn't, mm-hmm. there's a lot that hasn't changed because I kind of feared it would all be different, mm-hmm. but there's so much that looks the same still. I just cannot wait. So you had a rough week. Anything you want to share about it? Uh, no, it was just busy. You know, lots, lots of, lots of stuff going on right now at work. And um, I put, uh, we installed the show last Saturday. Oh, how did that In go? Long Beach. Uh, that went really well. It went really well. I was I was very pleased with how the whole show came together, uh, and the the opening was that night, last Saturday night, and had had a good turnout. And did you have some of your new work in there? I did. So this is the first time I've ever shown, um, like on a gallery wall, shown uh, abstract work. <sighs> that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of exciting. And I, man, I don't know. It's so. It feels a little bit silly, you know, but it's, it is the the case that I just, like, I'm just kind of confused by this work. And I think it might just be because I haven't uh, just allowed myself to own it. You know, I I, I can tell that I am kind of like keeping it at arm's distance. I don't know if maybe that's partly like anticipating that people won't like it or won't appreciate it as much as maybe uh, other work that I've done or I don't know. I just, just, it's silly. I should just own it and move on and not think too much about it. But I didn't really tell any friends about this show. It's in Long Beach. So it's a bit of a drive, but I kind of just wanted to put it up and, you know, I just wanted to look at it on the wall by myself before I start publishing you know, that. that's actually a good sign. That's a good sign because that means that you are pushing boundaries and limits of what feels sure. safe. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's a very good sign. Did you have some representation of that um, really gorgeous green color in the pieces? <laughs> I think there was. Well, I posted a picture of the of one the, one piece that I put put in there, um, the one with a really bright green grid grid of lines uh-huh. with the orange and yeah yeah so there's a that it that made it in good i don't know if there's any other examples of the green of life as 
<laughs> as I like to call it. And just to be clear for so other people understand, this is a green that Sabrina really does not like. I kept yeah. on trying to include it <laughs> in the paintings that we were making in Madison. And you would like, you would shudder. You would shudder. Yeah, just, just, just thinking about it. Yep. You guys, it's interesting. It's in fact, I've got a little, I'm looking right now at this keychain I have up on my wall. That is that precise green. It's kind of like Kermit the frog green, but brighter, but like brighter, more saturated. If you don't like it that much, why did you have, you know, a big piece of green paper that color? Uh, good question. Because I had a set of origami paper and that was a reject <laughs> crappy paper I didn't want to use or see again in my life. Right. <laughs> and you just, you, you had so, so much disdain for it that you never even took the energy to throw it away. It just yeah. sat there. <laughs> just wanted to even touch it. Yeah. <clears throat> that sounds like a 90s rock band, Reject Origami. Coast <laughs> Saturday night, listen to my band, Reject Origami. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's so true. I think there'd be a funny exercise to take those origami because there's some ugly colors in those things. And just, you know, sometimes there's like the, the skin color, like how disgusting is like the, in my rejects of origami paper, it's like that color green, the skin color, like, you know, white, white ass skin color and then brown and like, <laughs> like a really gross wood brown. <laughs> just just poo brown ew brown. what color do you do you have any colors that you're kind of that just sort of drive you crazy i'm sure there are nothing is nothing's popping to mind I, I i don't have any really strong color hatreds nope i guess i don't i don't like orange either you don't like orange nope really no, it's Molly's. I mean, are we talking color. about like traffic cone orange or any orange? I just say your standard, your, st <laughs> your, st your standard <laughs> red plus yellow orange. <laughs> yeah, just straight up orange, like a darker mm. orange, gorgeous can be could be gorgeous, beautiful on a painting sometimes, nice pop, uh -huh. but just straight, bright, not natural orange. <clears throat> so you're not a fan of the unnatural spectrums. colors <laughs> natural <laughs> spectrum i have to say though um one and i think you would you would be sold if i could give you this experience okay and maybe you have had this experience but when i was in the philippines and it was um uh rice was growing and it was like new rice uh, and it was like the fields were full mm. it was this and then like if sun shone and lit up the rice fields and it would be just like acres of, of rice fields mm. it's just the this really really intense yellow green that it was so i don't know it was, mm. it was just sublime that sounds you know, beautiful so yeah it was but it kind of approaches that that uh, hated green <laughs> hated hated can we just do that, like the the vision, the the um, artwork that goes by it, just that color green? 
just a block of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That is a great idea. I just had a fantastic day in um, first day. I actually did some big art in the studio, which was just fun and mm. wonderful. And I had a great meeting with Austin Durst, who did the filming for and created Untether with me. And we are going to uh, collaborate again on the next course, which is just really cool. That's fantastic. Do you Filming. do you have any information about that that you can share or not yet? Well, um, just I'm for just first off that I'm just it's not going to be filmed like a nor just the way Untether is is it's cinem cinematic, and uh, it's it will be somewhat live, but at the same time. Not, like there'll be live elements but it'll be just i don't just really beautiful beautifully filmed and edited and creative and you know a little avant-garde and so um i'm just excited to be it's a you know it's a big project to take on so we 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 decided just to go for it so um that's happening and then i came up the title so untether there was untether and this is liberate leave liberate, your mark Liberate, liberate leave your mark so you did not have that's we talked about that you didn't have yeah. a name for the book course yeah yep and i had recommended troy yeah <laughs> I, I told him in the running class the other day <laughs> yeah like, so the course was tentatively going to be called troy um, <laughs> just working just, title working title, just working title don't get weird about that um yeah so i i've had this I was writing, doing line art for uh, some of the line art that's going to go in the in the in the course, and I wrote liberate, and I'm like, that's just I love that it's an action word. The way untether is action, and liberate feels like yes, duh, liberate, and like leave a mark, leave your mark, leave your mark. So, um, it's just going forth, making it, letting it be letting it be it's you know alive and real and let it be made so that's exciting for me so mm -hmm. the court that i do know that the course will open for registration for i think it'll be five days possibly five, five to seven days and that will be may 1st and then the course will begin may 15th awesome. roughly yeah and we'll run through mid-july and uh it's going to be really, I'll be really involved with everybody in it. So it's going to be total deep dive and a lot of uh, working closely with me on it the whole way through. So cool. Um, I think it'll be a much smaller group, much more uh, in-depth experience. And is there any um, expectation or aspiration that each person in the course would end up with a complete book oh yeah a, a book that yeah. is for sale on amazon yeah oh boom yeah someone can you know new zealand can order it but they don't have to do it within that they they'll be taken through but if they want to you know spread out the length of time they spend on it they can but i will be leading guiding through the entire the entire process and then <clears throat> ideas around how to kind of share it with the world so mm-hmm I'm really excited about it. Yeah, what? Yeah. That feels like a course that uh, that I'm sure people have been dying for. Yeah. So 
we are going to talk about artists we love, right, today? Yes, I did not make this qualifier, and you let me know if it's okay. if it's too much, but I, I thought we could talk about living contemporary artists rather than Ooh, cool. older artists. Why don't we, in the, we're going to have a two-part episode, or two-part yeah. Two episodes. Uh, this first episode, we are going to talk about a bunch of my favorite artists, and then um, I'll post show notes with links and uh, images. And then next episode, we'll go through some of your some of your favorites. How do you how do you think? Love about it! That? I can't wait! I can't wait to hear yours. It's a hard thing to to say favorites. You know, inevitably somebody is going to ask you who your favorite artist is, right? And I know I'm going to think of somebody tonight who I, who is like my, you know, favorite artist of all time. And I won't have said that. So, so this is right now in this moment, uh, some of our favorite artists and is not an exhaustive list, but is some of the people that stand out. So can I do over like, overview all the names and then we can sure yeah the, the highlights okay so the people that came to mind when i was thinking about my favorite artists um are alfredo castaneda mm. uh, that's a l f r e d o castan actually why don't we just plan on putting all these in the i'll put them in the show notes okay so i don't have to go through and uh um say even that say all their names, spellings, but Alfredo Castaneda, Dana Schutz, uh, Laura Owens, Mark Bradford, Julie Moretu, Harold Fletcher, Alan McCollum, Anthony Gormley, Gerhard Richter, Neo Rausch, David Hockney, Carrie James Marshall, and Reject Origami, <laughs> which I wrote at the bottom of my list. And they are the great band, man. Love him so much. All right. So um, Alfredo Castaneda is a – so I'm going to give the preface that, that that some of my information might not be entirely accurate, and uh, and I apologize if that is the case. Okay. Um, but what I love about Alfredo Castaneda's work – he's a, a Mexican artist – is it kind of ties in visually to the Me Mexican muralists. There's mm. this really nice kind of cartoony – illustrative quality but there's the there's an emotion and kind of uh melancholy about it that i think is just fantastic they're all self-portraits or a lot of them are self-portraits anyway mm -hmm. and he paints himself in these really kind of uh, uh i don't know there he does a lot of really visual clever puns and uh and and kind of uh, interactions between illusionistic space and, and 2d space. Mm. Anyway, I think like they're kind of quirky and weird and they're self portraits. Um, and they're also just beautiful and thoughtful and, and I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for, um, like that uh, Mexican muralist illustration, yeah. illustrate illustrative style. Uh, Dana Schutz is a contemporary artist. I saw her, she was a visiting artist when I was in grad school and really, enjoyed her personality. Um, she does similar to Alfredo Castaneda. I kind of put her next to him because um, she is kind of has an element of story and there's a darkness to the stories that she depicts sometimes. 
um, and they're kind of cartoony and quirky, um, but also beautifully painted. And they're all also very much about color. And she just has a beautiful palette, beautiful sense of uh, color and color relationships. Are these so. l- large paintings? Uh, Alfreda Castaneda is small, like kind of small easel, small to middle size easel paintings. Dana Schutz, she gets really big. Okay. And then Laura Owens, I just appreciate her invention. She's she does a lot of really cool stuff, uh, playing around with paint and what paint is and does. And uh, you know, you'll walk up and there will be areas of the painting that are super flat, and then she'll have. Uh, squeezed a tube of oil paint uh, bead out that's just like barely hanging on by an edge to the canvas Mm. you know so there's this like uh, i don't know extremes of materiality and flatness that i that i enjoy um enjoy her work in person and she kind of relates in my mind anyway to mark bradford and julie murray too in that kind of the the physicality of her work Hmm. and mark bradford um is an artist. He's, I've seen quite a bit of his work here in LA. Um, and he does lots and lots and lots of layers of material. And then he'll carve through or kind of excavate through those layers by, uh, digging through them with like a knife and then peeling away parts of those layers. And they're just, they're big and there's lots of material and they're the mark making is really aggressive. And I love that the history and the buildup of all those different layers of material. Yeah. And they're just really impressive and like physical when you're in their presence, there's this really strong sense of, um, I don't know, this, this painting having a life of its own type deal. Is it works on wood or canvas? He's got a a pretty wide range. He does, uh, work on panel and canvas and paper and he's, he's got a lot but I feel like, like, um, one of my, one of my mentors, a, a painter who, who I really respect, um, talk, talking about Anselm Kiefer one time, uh, he doesn't like Anselm Kiefer because he feels like, uh, he uses material in kind of, in an, an obvious way. Like, of course people are going to respond to, you know, a, a two story tall painting that has a bunch of little bits of uh, you know, material sticking off the surface, like just the enormity of that material is inherently impressive. Right. And I feel like, um, Mark Bradford is, has kind of an extreme use of material that is, is obviously going to have a certain impressive quality just by its sheer size. And, um, it's obvious difficulty in, in making it, you know? Yeah. I'm looking at it now, but I think, I think he does it in a way that's like he owns it and it's not just like a ploy to get people's attention, but there's a, it's decisive and confident and it doesn't feel gimmicky. Like it feels, you know, that it's not just done as a way to get attention. You know, it's not like a cheap or easy uh, way to appeal to people. Like, He's he's taking risks and chances and experimenting and pushing and anyway I love his work. Uh, Julie Murray too. Not as her paintings are more flat. There's not as much material, but they're just impressive in size and the sheer energy of them. Are. Those both of those artists 
Mark Bradford and Julie Murray too. Uh, seeing their work in person really um, changes. You know, it really affects how you see it. Or that's kind of obvious. Things, experience but. it. Yeah, experience it. Like it, it's it's huge. Important. Huge, it's massive. Huge. Yeah. And they're just this chaos of um, line and pattern and energy and there's representation, but there's, and, and the sense of architecture or vanishing point, but then it's just this, you know, chaos of uh, beautiful just, texture. Yeah. 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 They're beautiful. Where did you discover his work, their work? Uh, Mark Bradford. I think I just was going, looking at work at a gallery or museum and ran into some of his stuff and really responded to it. Julie Moretu. Um, I think she had an art 21 or was in vitamin P the book the, of like contemporary painters. And I really liked her work. She also had, uh, I believe a piece exhibited at LACMA. Then the next group, and you tell me when this is getting. No, nope, fantastic. I mean, this doesn't have to be painters. I'm citing painters cause that's just kind of who I have looked at. Right. The next two that I think are extremely interesting and uh, who I like as much as people as I do their work, um, like Mark Bradford and Julie Moretz, who never haven't really don't know much about their personalities or, you know, haven't seen too many videos or interviews with them, but their work is, is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Harold Fletcher and Alan McCollum, both, uh, I like them, them as people just as much as I like their work. Them as people uh, or their personalities and what their their ideas and the way they present themselves and interact with the world are just as important to me as their the actual physical objects they create. What's an example of that? Uh, well, like Harold Fletcher, he he uh, is a teacher and and also an artist. He does like he does social or interactive types of art projects. Like he has a website, HaroldFletcher.com. Okay, so for example, this is one of the the projects that he has up on his website. It's called "If I Wasn't Me, I Would Be You," and then um, it's video of people's scars with the stories of how they got them. Oh, so I people, love that! People would send in videos of of you know any scar on their body, and they would just tell the story of how they got them. And then he'd publish his video with all these people telling the stories of their scars. Um, I think if I'm remembering right, there was another one uh, where it was like mole constellation where people would uh, connect the dots of their like moles on their skin. Oh, I love to that make, too. To make constellations and then send in pictures and he'd make, you know, publish picture books. And there are, there are video assignments and, and um, photographic and written and all sorts of different thing. He, he also did a, a book in collaboration with Miranda July I was just thinking of her when you, for some reason, just as you started talking about this. Interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I think I believe they did a book together called, I think it's called Learning to Love You More. Yes, 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 yes. I love that. Yeah. So he, uh, he was part of that project. Well worth taking a look at. And it's, it's just as much about these really awesome ideas that he has, the ways of um, it's kind of like your prompts, you know, giving way, mm-hmm. uh, framing a new way of looking at things in a way that encourages people to share and connect and feel more like a part of a, a group, you know, like 
a part of something. Yeah. The human experience. Human experience. And and then Alan McCollum, I met him. He was a visiting artist at, when I was in grad school and I had a studio visit with him and just immensely enjoyed our conversation. Um, one thing that I really like about his work, he does similar types of projects to um, what Harold Fletcher does. He does like collaborative stuff with uh, or projects with different communities and making paintings and collaborative paintings and stuff. But he also does uh, these sculptures where he comes up with ways of mass producing things, but mass producing things that are each unique. So mm. there's this interesting tension between be, between mass production and mechanized production, but he is able to do it in a way that uh, results in the, each of the individual mass produced objects being having a slight uh, unique shape or character or something. So there no, wow. no, no two one of them are the same. Um, that's a really, you know, gross oversimplification, but I think that that whole concept, I think, is a very, very interesting one and one that he's uh, he's pursued in a lot of different uh, ways throughout his career. All right. Anthony Gormley, a sculptor, does a lot of really uh, cool. The beginning of his career was a lot of um, sculpture of his own body. And mm. he just have these static casts of his own body in different environments. Hmm. And it's kind of hard to explain without um, seeing examples of it. But they're, it's just like a cast iron uh, black guy standing. And he'd put, uh, put them in the ocean. So when the surf went down, these black figures would slowly <laughs> emerge out of the wow. ocean. And... Um, He's done others where he has a mold of his body, but then he fills the mold with these pieces of uh, stainless steel rod. So it looks like this like frantic line, but uh, when seen all together, you can see the kind of shadow of his body. Anyway, a lot, a lot of really cool sculpture, but also the way he experiments with context, you know, putting his sculpture in different contexts yes. and having that be just as integral to the power of the work as the actual object itself. I like, I like that a lot. Gerhard Richter love that he has two parallel bodies of work, one completely abstract, one completely like over the top, uh, photorealistic. And I love how those throughout his career, those two bodies of work have kind of played off each other. That's an idea that has influenced my own. Yeah. Thoughts about uh, creativity and, and how to uh, make work. Do you like one more than the other, one set more than the other? I don't. I love them both. And I love very much when the two are more integrated. Like when you see evidences of his, uh, his abstract kind of processes coming into play when he does his realistic paintings. So there's a series of, that he did of uh, women breastfeeding. And uh, they're beautiful paintings, but then he also is uh, kind of obstruct or, or added, like has scraped the wet paint in the same way that he would scrape his um, his abstract work. So you get these kind of uh, mm. these, these abstract marks, and the way that abstract uh, texture and mark making integrates with a photographic image is just. I just oh, think it's beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, do you, are you seeing those paintings? No, not, but I'm, can, I know what you're talking about in my head. Yeah. Yeah. 
And two more. One, Neo Rausch, German artist, like Gerhard Richter. Yeah. Love me some German artists. I love how dramatic they are, melodramatic and over the top and dark and weird, you know, quirky. Um, a lot of German German art kind of has a flavor to it that I really like. And he is no exception. He um, He's figurative, but he has a lot of really surrealistic types of landscapes and combinations of different visual styles mm. and flat and illusionistic space and all sorts of stuff. And the last person that I'll mention here is Carrie James Marshall, who is a Chicago artist that um, was getting some retrospectives and stuff when I was uh, in grad school. So he he was his artwork was around a lot when I was in Chicago. Figurative painter and just very technically adept, but also there's a mood uh, that I really respond to. And there are some some of them are kind of illustra- illustrative, like graphic, but then he combines this illustrative style with um, with some more kind of painterly abstract mm. types of mark making. Anyway, I really like narrative painting. And, yeah. and I guess that's kind of where Dana Schutz and Alfredo Castaneda come into is like, I love the story. I love the fantastical worlds. I love the, it's like, you know, that, that book that we talked about long ago, the uh, invisible cities, you know, there's that. Yes. There's a kind of, yeah. Right. Yeah. A kind of truth that is revealed through that fiction, you know, that can only, we can only get to uh, certain kinds of truth and communicate it and embody it or, uh, um, put it in our artwork, artwork through uh, through fictional types of representation. Very cool. I, I can't wait to see the show notes so I can go through and, and explore some of these guys and gals. Great job. Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to, to hearing uh, who your favorites are next week. Yeah. Um, and thank you all for the great feedback the last couple episodes about great and uh, limited Susie shout out to Susie who had shared a nice post I sent you uh, a message on Instagram trending about that last week is, is she the one that did the journal yeah, the, book with the, the, the nesting fabric? journals yeah beautiful yeah, work awesome yeah totally um, and you can find both of us on Instagram I'm at Sabrina Ward Harrison and Trent is Trent Reynolds Art and uh, show notes can be found at roominthetrees.com. Uh, and we'd love you to be a patron and support us. And that's patreon.com forward slash room. And more to come. Please uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, we'll give you a shout out and rate us and share with your friends. It's been awesome. And we are soon going to be uh, looking for sponsors and getting this uh, rolling big so I just don't know if you have any interest in in a sponsorship this has been Sabrina that has been Trent <laughs> <laughs> together we have been room in the trees in the room of trees <laughs> <laughs>